0: amen thank you musicians we appreciate you so much a few minutes ago or at the beginning of our service this morning uh, we I didn't pick out the hymns Derek and Kelly are doing a great job of picking out our hymns for us each week but we sang uh, Charles Wesley's words Charles Wesley's on the short list for greatest hymn writer ever I don't know if you can pick the winner but he's on the short list but you sang these words he left his father's throne above So free, so infinite, his grace emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free. Oh, praise my God, it reaches me. And then into the chorus of amazing love. Bled for Adam's helpless race. Uh, Think about that. We're going to come to that in Paul's writings. If you haven't been with us uh, last week. Uh, We launched into a mini-series for the Easter season on 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is Paul's greatest writing on the doctrine of the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. And uh, so we want to turn back to that. We're not taking it in order. We started last week at the end, and we'll work our way by Easter back to the beginning. But this morning we're in verse 20, and uh, we're going to look at Adam's helpless race. And what Paul has to say in these verses uh, here that contributes to our theology. First Corinthians 15, 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. The doctrine of the resurrection is profound. Here Paul is in verse 20. Drawing a contrast to what he says in verse 19 and what precedes that, that we'll look at next week. So we are going backwards and it makes it a little harder in some ways. But it comes down through next week's passage talking about how despairing and desperate things would be if there was no afterlife, if there was no resurrection, if there was no victory in Jesus. How lost Confused and desperate would be we would be. But Paul says in verse 20, the, the first word is the the trigger, but in contrast to that, now in Christ, we have something different. Now Christ has been raised. It's a Greek perfect passive verb, which means it happened in the past, God did it, it has enduring value that will stand for Christ has been raised he wasn't raised he has been raised he stands raised today he's raised today for you and me and Paul wants you to know that Paul wants you to feel that now he's going to describe Jesus here as the first fruits and first fruits are the fruits that come first obviously that first sampling of the harvest it's what you bring in and say it's it's time to bring it in and here's the first samples of it see how good the harvest is and Paul says Christ is a preview of more to come he's the first and he is the best but he is the preview of that which follows which He has made possible. And so He is the firstfruits of all the ones literally having fallen asleep, which we've seen before is that um, euphemism or expression for death. We looked at that last week. Uh, it means death. That's what He's talking about. Dead folks. Uh, they have fallen asleep. Uh, they've come to the end of this life. Paul says Jesus died and stands raised now as a forerunner for those who are asleep in Christ as a forerunner for those who will experience the fullness of final salvation now in Christ we have something different for since by a man came death by a man came also the resurrection of the dead your life influences other people some people's lives influence just a few people, Uh, maybe almost nobody else, but everybody's life influences somebody else to some degree. Some people's lives have great influence over others. There are two whose lives are so influential it's immeasurable. Adam and Jesus. And both are good. Jesus is, of course we know who Jesus is. Adam is a good guy also. He's a part of the line of Christ. He's part of uh, God's plan. Has some problems in Genesis 3. But Adam is great. But because of his conduct in Genesis 3, the door is helping. You uh, see, the, I was watching an old John Wayne movie the other day. And he was on a ship. And the ship was going down. they were trying to seal all the, the uh, pockets to the ship. So that the water couldn't get into other parts of the ship. So they could get it to a safer place. Uh, And it all worked out in the end for John Wayne, just in case you're wondering. But they're trying to seal that out because once the door opens and the water starts coming in, the trouble just begins to compound itself. And Adam, our granddaddy Adam, great man that he was, opened the door. And the sin problem starts to rush through with great pressure into the human race. And it's what we call in the world of theology, the fall. From Genesis 3 on, we live in a fallen world. If you wonder why your car has problems, it's in the fallen world. If you wonder why uh, kids misbehave or why your neighbor is irritating or, or suffer messed up last night. Or, all the things that break can go wrong. If you wonder why people die, it's because we live in a fallen world. From Genesis 3, till Christ comes again in final victory, it's a fallen, broken world. Now, you do your best in that context by the grace of God, with the Jesus plan. By one man's death, by one man's action, death got into the world. Adam messed up. He tried to blame it on Eve for a few minutes. Not good, Adam. Adam. Lord, the woman you gave me, she led me to do this. But Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And yes, they they are literal people. And yes, they did live. And yes, we descend from them. and, And because of their actions, they messed things up for us. Way to go, Adam. Thank you so much. Could have been a perfect world. It was a perfect world. But sin comes in with all of its corruption. By one man came death. But why, by one man comes also resurrection of the dead. And Paul means that in a very powerful, rich way. It's not just that your body comes back sometime. He's talking about salvation and the afterlife and eternal life and all that we have in Christ. Verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. I uh, get National Geographic magazine at the house. My dad started sending that to me 10 years ago. And uh, we've kept that going since then. <clears throat> Don't ever get time to read all of that. Just kind of scan through and read random things from it. But one showed up uh, at the house this weekend. And it had an ad in there. Genographic Project. The Genographic Project. If anybody's really interested, you can see me later and. Um, It's only going to cost you, they don't tell you how much it costs you, you're going to save $50, so it's pretty expensive. Most of these things cost about a couple hundred bucks and ancestry.com and several people are doing this now and you can take a little cotton swab and send in some of your DNA and they'll put it in the magic machine and they'll get a printout of who you are and they can tell you uh, the percentages of the makeup of your heritage. The sample on here, this uh, guy is 6% Scandinavian, and 5% from Finland and Siberia, and 31% from Great Britain and Ireland, and 53% Western European, and question mark percent Neanderthal, so I don't know about this guy. What I want to do someday, uh, you can't justify the money, but I'd like to do National Geographic's and Ancestries and see if they match, and I'm guessing that they wouldn't uh, to some degree. Because there are a lot of assumptions that go into a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, but they want to tell you who you are. So what I want to do for you this morning, I want to save you a lot of time and a lot of money. And you don't have to get involved in the genographic project at all. I'm going to tell you who you are and where your heritage line comes from. Adam and Eve. And I, 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 I believe the book of Genesis. I believe that's literally true. Uh, the, I used to read all that stuff on the Neanderthals and the Cro-Magnons and all that. Went to the museum in uh, Chicago when I was a student there, went down to the Field Museum, which is sort of like the Smithsonian. And I went down into the the bottom floor and they had a display of Cro-Magnon man, life-size figures, and they had the campfire and they're cooking something on the fire. And uh, Mrs. Cro-Magnon's not looking too good, Mr. Cro-Magnon's not looking too good, kind of scruffy. and. Rough looking and but you know they got their little hut and all and you kind of well that's what they look like oh wow and then there's this little sign down at the bottom for another interpretation of Cro-Magnon man go to the fourth floor. So I went to the fourth floor later on when I finished the basement and went up there and there's Cro-Magnon man again and he looks entirely different from the basement and it's entirely all kind of assumptions. The Bible says we descend from Adam. It's literally true. We are. That's why you can have all the races of the earth and they can marry and have children and and it all works because there's a unity to the human race. And the reason there's a unity to the human race is we all are originally in Adam. And Paul, the great apostle Paul, the the ultimate theological source says in that relationship to Adam you die. Just because I'm sorry, but just because he's your granddaddy, you die. Adam introduced into your world the problem. So everybody that's in Adam dies. So if you want to stay in Adam, that's what awaits you. Now you're going to die physically at some point, unless you hang around until Jesus returns. But that's the the destination of your body is to die along with Adam. What you don't want to do is spiritually die. But... Adam brings death. He says, So also, or in like fashion, just like one can bring death, one brings life. And so also in Christ, all will be made alive. Now you've got to be really, really careful theologically here. You'll enter into a huge error. And it will harm you and others who listen to you. When he says, All in Adam die, that means all that... Uh, finish the course of their lives and their status is uh, Who are you? Well, I, I belong to Adam. I'm part of the Adam team. I'm team Adam uh, Check out my jersey. I, I, I'm part of Adam's System and that's where I run the course. That's why I'm in where I'm into the course. That's who I am Paul says In the the new American says so also in Christ all will be made alive That does not mean, here's where the great risk is in this verse. Paul does not mean by that, that because of Christ, everybody's made alive. That would be a biblical error. That would be a theological heresy. He's not saying, in Christ, everybody's alive. That would be universalism. There's two versions of universalism. The broader uh, approach that a lot of the world loves and instinctively believes, uh, you know, in uh, in uh, God, there's just so much love. And such a loving God is just going to have to save everybody because God is love. And so everybody's all right. You might not like things about you. You might do give you a little bit of judgment here or there. But everybody's all right because God is loving. When we come to the Bible and we find that's not true. Certainly he's... The God of love but uh, that doesn't give a free ticket to all of the human race the Christianized version of that that comes along later is uh, the idea that Christ died for the sins of the world and because of that everybody's saved the Bible doesn't teach that either so that's not what Paul's point is in verse 22 over behind the Methodist Church down the street is a cemetery and in the cemetery There's a grave marker. It's the most prominent grave marker in that little cemetery. Uh, Most of the stones have dilapidated, but there's a marker there. And it says on there, he believed in universal salvation. Well, I'm afraid I know what he meant by that. That was about 100 years ago. uh, But that would mean everybody's all right. And you can say, everybody's all right because of Jesus. But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's point is, all who are in Christ will be made alive. And there's a world of difference between Christian universalism and what Paul says here. So also, all in Christ will be made alive. The promise is not to everybody, the promise is to those who are in Christ. Important, crucial distinction there. But each one in his order. God's got a plan. God works out his plan. I like the way God works. God does things so much better than we do. And the, the progressive plan of God's redemption, the unfolding of His salvation, is orderly and neat and profound. And he says, but each in his order, Christ the firstfruits, that's number one. After that, those who are Christ, or in Christ, or the Christians at His coming. Again, the promise is not to everybody. The promise is to those who are Christ." Of Christ the, the believers the ones being of Christ afterward are also part of God's economy and it comes to its fullness at the second coming of Christ and Paul's tying the resurrection of the dead to that great event when are the dead raised at the second coming of Christ now time out for a second like we did last week Let's hurry, lest everybody begin to get nervous and upset and troubled. That does not mean that your loved ones who have died in Christ are just out there buried in the ground somewhere, asleep, soul sleep, we talked about last week. They are alive, their spirit is alive. They are absent from the body and present with the Lord, Paul says in another place. Uh, they are in a blessed state. Uh, if you knew where they are, if you're Christian, that they're in Christ. If you knew where they were, you would gladly trade places with them and not run from that because it's awesome. But here's this uh, final promise of the fullness of that salvation in the great resurrection. And Paul says don't worry about when it's going to happen. Don't try to put a time on it. It will happen when Christ comes. And nobody can outguess that. Nobody can calculate that time. Jesus said don't Try to calculate. Nobody but the Father knows the timing of that. But when He comes, those who are in Christ will be raised from the dead because He is the first fruits, He's the sampler of what God will ultimately do in the complete and final restoration. Verse 24, then the end comes. Then comes the end when He hands over the kingdom to God, the Father. When He has abolished all rule, and authority and power. Jesus from the cross said it is finished. And it was finished. He had won the great conflict of the ages. And then it just has to play out in the story of the the human race down until the second coming. And so Jesus through the work of his cross and through the ministry of his church is abolishing all rule and all authority and all power He is winning and prevailing and he will prevail for all eternity. You best know that you're on his team And then he says the end will come when does the end come it comes at the end When he has finished the task and all has been submitted to him he has prevailed over all of it. We are with him by our faith. We are in Christ. Now, you part of you, your body is still in Adam. You're part of Adam's fallen race with all the problems. But in Christ, you take on a different and unique citizenship. Everybody's in Adam's race, but you in Christ are uniquely in Christ and his plan. He must reign, he says in verse 25, until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. You've seen all the old statues and the imagery of the the conquering hero and kind of got his right foot up on the, the, the conquered. He's prevailing. Jesus will reign and everything that's ever opposed the cause of Christ will be under his feet. The next time you turn on cable news and your heart gets sick and you're concerned about the world and you wonder where it's going and you're, you're grieving over what you see, take in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25 and imagine your Savior and all of His risen glory with His foot on top of all the evil of the world as the conquering, prevailing hero of the ages. He beats it all. There's no ism. There's no uh, wickedness. There's no sin. There's nothing out there that Jesus will not prevail over. The last enemy, Paul says, that will be abolished is death. There's built into the fabric of the human heart a fear of death. We don't want to die. We fear we'll do incredible things. We'll spend family fortunes to avoid death. People will spend a million dollars to live three months longer or less. But he says, death, Jesus has dealt with and Jesus will deal with. And that enemy, death, will be abolished in eternity. That will no longer be a factor. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he has accepted uh, who put all things in subjection to him. I know that's uh, confusing. Paul could have written that a little clearer, maybe. I, I... I'm kidding, of course. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We just have to think a little bit as we He's saying you God sends Jesus, God the Father sends Jesus into the world. Jesus brings everything under his feet. He's conqueror of all. Paul says it's all but God the Father, of course. And and Jesus and the, the playing out. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all deity. They're all worthy of obedience. They're all worthy of our respect and our worship. Uh, But they have different roles and functions. And Jesus, in verse 28, His final function is described for us by Paul here. He says, And when all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself... When all things are subjected to Jesus, then the Son Himself also will be subjected to the One who subjected all things to Him. So Jesus takes the church. Imagine Jesus turning to the Father and saying, Here's First Baptist Church of Dublin, Georgia. These are some of my people that you gave me, and I'm giving them back to you. And they're yours for eternity. Here's planet Earth. Boy, what a mess they made of it, but Here it is redeemed and the new heavens and the new earth and all the glories of all that God had in mind. Jesus accomplishes it all and presents it back to the Father. So that God may be all in all. Isn't that a great line? That God might be all in all. You're not going to get to that in your own world in this life. You're not going to get to that in your own thinking, in your own heart. Something's going to compromise that to some degree, but that's the goal. That's what we ought to want. That's what we ought to aim toward, where God is our all in all. What's important to you? A lot of things are important to me, but God is my all in all. I live for God. That's by all in all. That's, that's how we should think. That's how we should talk. That's how we should orient our lives. That's where things are ultimately heading. The best thing you can do for yourself is get with the program, as people used to say. God's in the process of redeeming and putting things in order for His glory, for our good. And Adam, I can't wait to meet. I want to be Adam's friend someday. I think you're going to get to meet these people and i 'm going i 'm going to search him out i 'm going to find Adam because I want to be remember we 're both going to be thirty years old when I get there so that's our, if you 're not usually with us that 's our paratheology that we 've had here lately but I want to sit down with Adam and just get to know him and talk about things and talk about that garden and those decisions and and wrestle through with that but I think he, Adam was probably he may have been, you, I don't know you, Adam may have been the smartest man that ever lived other than that decision that he made. <clears throat> because after Adam, the impact of the fall corrupts the human race and our uh, I think our IQ drops steadily after that uh, and Adam didn't know anything about uh, modern technology, he couldn't work an iPhone or any of that kind of stuff, but his uncorrupted intellect was probably off the charts, immeasurable, Uh, brilliant but I want to know Adam and, and talk it through but I want to know Jesus and talk it through in Adam things unravel thanks buddy in Christ for those who are in Christ it all comes back together in incredible glory now that should shape not just our doctrine of Easter That should change everything about us. Everything about us. How you feel about life. How you treat people. What's important to you. What you live for. The resurrection of Christ. The victory of Christ over the sting of death. Changes everything. And Paul paints for us elsewhere. This depressing, horrible, imagery of what it would be like to have no Jesus and he says but now back in verse 20 but now it's different now Christ has been raised your Jesus has been raised he stands raised for you and me this morning bow with me in prayer father we're grateful today that our Savior Jesus Christ is risen from the grave And that death has absolutely no power over him. We're grateful that our Savior, Jesus, has the power and the authority to defeat the final enemy, death itself. We're grateful that we can be made whole, even physically whole, ultimately, in Christ. Cause us, Lord, today to rejoice in that. Cause us, Lord, today to respond in that with not just right thinking, but with Christian service until Jesus comes. For we pray in his name. Amen.